Hello and welcome to the 160th episode of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. Today, we are talking how to distribute your movie and make money with Alex Ferrari and his film entrepreneur method. We talk about Distribber and the whole issue with that aggregator and how that went down. We talk about his Facebook group, Protecting Yourself from Predatory Distributors. We also talk about when distribution should be talked about and how and why you need your film to be niche. We also talk about the best way to distribute your film and how you can make money with your film. We are also giving away a signed copy of Alex's book, Film Entrepreneur. Stay tuned to the end of the show to find out how. All to come on this week's episode of the Filmmakers Podcast. I am Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm a producer. And the film I'm produced, Serial Killer's Guide to Life, is available now. You can watch it in the UK, the USA, Canada, and many other territories. Please do go support this brilliant, brilliant black comedy horror. It is so much fun. You will enjoy it. Go to Sky Store now and check it out. And also, if you're in the US and Canada, check out my directorial debut, which I co-wrote with Johnny Grant and directed. It is called The Dare. If you have listened to this podcast before, you know I talk about it. Um, it stars Richard Short, the fantastic Richard Short, and Richard Brake, of course, the wonderful horror icon, as well as some many, many other up-and-coming talents, including Deborah Wilde, Bart Edwards, Robert Marsa, uh, Mitchell Norman, Alexandra Evans, Harry Jarvis, and so many others. So do check that out. That is there. Links to both those films are in the show notes. Thank you so much to all those who joined us yesterday on the Make Your Film online event. Huge, huge shout out for those who joined us. Honestly, really, really appreciate it. And obviously some of the donations to that are going towards the film and TV charity, which is the emergency fund set up during this COVID um, situation. So thank you. Thank you. you. It all helps. Your donations make a huge difference. Shout out to Beckham Woods, obviously, uh, Gareth Unwin. Aaron Scott, Directors UK, Performance Insurance, We Audition and Film and TV Charity, who all came and gave talks. Thank you so much. And a huge shout out to my fellow host, Dom Lenoir, as well. So if you're new to the Filmmakers Podcast, welcome. If you've been here before, welcome back. Uh, this is the 160th episode. I can't believe it's been that many, but it has. But if you are new, you might have missed some of our previous episodes. And while this is a big one on distribution and how you can make money from your film, why don't I tell you to go listen to some of the other ones that are also equally as amazing, including uh, Christy Wilson Cairns, a screenwriter from 1917, as well as Fernando Moreles, the director of The Two Popes, who has an amazing story about how he got his first feature film, The City of God, off the ground. Uh, Mark Jenkins, the director of Bait, Anthony McCartan, the screenwriter of Bohemian Rhapsody, and many others as well. Neil Marshall, who directed Dog Soldiers and Hellboy, as well as Mark Strong who uh, has starred in so many movies, but he's wonderful in The Kingsman, so do check that out. Obviously, we've had Beckham Woods on the podcast as well, who wrote Quiet Place and directed Haunt as well. And why not check out Tom Harper, uh, the director of The Aeronauts, which has been all over um, Netflix. Is it Netflix? Amazon? 
all over one of the platforms right now. Uh, <laughs> do go check that out, as well as David Kep, who wrote Jurassic Park. Uh, why not listen to some of those? Why not? All you have to do is type in that person's name into the Google box and the Filmmakers Podcast, and you will find it. Perfect example, Tom Harper, Filmmakers Podcast. You'll find it. Check it out. Uh, there's so many as well from indie filmmakers about how you can get out there and make your film, even on no budget. So you don't have to listen to the top-end ones. You can also listen to people who've made films on nothing or very little or reasonable budgets. So check them out. Loads of episodes for you. So, shall we get to it? This is how you can distribute your film and make money while doing it. Enjoy this week's Filmmakers Podcast. Oh, we're in. We're in. We're in. You sure? It's done, yeah. Class act with a capital K, sir. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so true. The, uh, there's no... There's no um, Everyone thinks it's all glamour and shit, but shit. no, no. No, no. Here we go. SD cards that don't work. That is exactly what this is. Uh, there we go. We're in. All right. All right. I have my water bottle because it's dry it's, shit or whatever. It's dry and we're in L.A., um, we're in Alex's home, everyone, um, our lovely guest today, Alex Ferrari. Welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. Thank you for having me again, brother. I appreciate it's it. Absolute pleasure. Second time you've been on. Yes, it is. And um, so nice to just talk filmmaking and also your journey from that first episode and yeah. had another film out and where you are now with your book, mm-hmm. you know, Film Entrepreneur. And it's just great. And it's great. Uh, and I'm actually here today on the day of the dare is released, which is really yeah. cool that the film is out today. It's just, it feels special, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it feels cool, nice. Man. It feels yeah. really nice. You are the only um, English uh, <laughs> podcaster who comes to my office to, to record me. Sir. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, everyone else again, we'll do it by Skype. No no, like, no, no, no. You fly all the way over here. And you told it was, it was just for me. It so was. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was it. There <laughs> happened to be some screenings of the day going on in a premiere. And really, sure. But that's just extra bonus it stuff. Was, it was really all about me. It I was understand. totally, totally. That's why we're here. <laughs> so how's your year been since you were last on? Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, it's been insane. Um, I mean, the, it, the whole sort of industry's blown up in terms of distribution sales it's literally everyone's opened the door and you've been a real pioneer in that of making people aware of the shysters and the fact that shit is going on and we have to be massively aware as filmmakers yeah i mean so from i mean 2019 was a pretty instrumental year in the film hustle Mm. i launched the film entrepreneur website the film entrepreneur podcast and then also did also released my book and when i wrote the book you know, I wanted to put something out there. I wanted to kind of change the conversation of filmmakers, which I, I, you know, being in the business for so long. And then at that point had been doing the podcast and indie film hustle for almost four years. I've just talked to so many filmmakers and understand. I kind of see like, wait, this is the problem. There, there is no solution for the future of where we're going as filmmakers. Mm. And so many filmmakers are still thinking like it's 1990, mm-hmm. making their films, financing their films, having business models based around those films and th- that time period that you're never going to make it. And then I kept seeing them run up against this wall at the end. And it didn't matter what the budget was. It could be a $5,000 budget. I've seen million, $2 million budget films just literally crash against this wall and I kept saying, well, you know what? There has to be another way. And that's when I decided to to write this book. And then not only write the book, because, of course, I launched the book, pre-order book, the website, 
and the podcast all on the same day and it just came out of nowhere and nobody knew yeah what the hell hit them totally and and then people were like what what you've been doing this and you haven't said why not you have a platform uh, but that's interesting why not what uh, because obviously you talk to filmmakers all the time as as i do about how the importance of selling your film the importance of telling people about your film and Mm -hmm. you're you are your own pr and your own marketing absolutely and yet with film entrepreneur you just went there it is i just yeah because a lot of people are like why don't you just keep it all in any film hustle Mm. And I said, no, this is something separate. I need to, I, I want to, I wanted a platform where I could do a much deeper dive on the business side of stuff and talk about things that just pretty wouldn't be appropriate. Like I could talk about affiliate programs, but affiliate programs on Indie Film Hustle, you know, not everybody wants to talk about that. That's kind of yeah. why I opened up um, Bulletproof Screenwriting mm-hmm. because originally it was all in Indie Film Hustle, but then I, I opened up the, the podcast to kind of focus on that segment of my audience. And this year, I'll be launching Bulletproof Screenwriting's website as well. So it'll be a right. third platform uh, as part of the family of, of websites that I'm I'm creating. But with Film Entrepreneur, I wanted to really have a place where I can be free to talk real deep, nerdy stuff mm. and and break down films on a diff- completely different level than just artistic. Got you. Okay. But to answer your question earlier, so 2019 was all about that. And then, of course, the distributor thing happened last year. Yeah, huge. Where, For those in the UK who don't know what distributor is, it was. was <laughs> thank you. It's a spoiler alert. That's yeah, a spoiler, <laughs> spoiler alert. alert. Yeah. Was this platform where people could, you know, distribute? That was the it name was, of it. It was an aggregation company. It was mm-hmm. a film aggregation company that... Um, and for those who don't know, explain what an aggregation is. So a film is. aggregation company means if you want to put your movie up on iTunes, Amazon, um, Netflix, Hulu, all these kind of places, uh, you need to go through an aggregation company, which mm-hmm. is the way the streaming platforms kind of set it up. So you have to funnel through that. And that includes the studio system. Like everyone funnels through like about 14 companies. Right. Period. That That's kind of it. There's no other companies. You, you have to go through one of these guys. So... Uh, these guys were the most vocal distributor was one of the most vocal, most marketed, most touted um, distribution uh, platforms uh, or film aggregation platforms out there. I was a big proponent of them. I I pushed them heavily for almost two years because they helped me with my first film. This is Meg, which I, you know, I got a Hulu deal out of it. Um, they got me in on the platforms. Everything was great. I had mm-hmm. many case studies come on the show, you know, range 15 of film. Yep. They made over $3 million. Uh, doing self-distribution. They seem like the second coming. It was a successful platform. And they've been around for eight or nine years. So it's not like they were just fly by night. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden, everything went to hell. And I I was privy to information about their downfall before anybody else was. Nobody else was looking at it. But I I had been involved with them with some other movies that I was uh, working with with a client that I was consulting and I submitted these projects, and these and they weren't getting back to me about it. Right, and they were running about 90, 100 days, one hundred twenty days late. And then I knew them. I knew the CEO. I knew Jason Brubaker. I knew mm-hmm. all these guys that worked there, and I wasn't getting calls back. And if I, I said to myself, if I'm not getting calls back, mm-hmm. and I have a relationship, and I'm like one of their biggest fans and advocates, what the hell's happening to everybody else? Yeah. So then I. Did some digging, and about a day or two after they went, they decided to kind of do a a bankruptcy 
or <clears throat> their version of a bankruptcy, which is called an ABC, which is basically a private bankruptcy instead of public. Okay. They hired a firm called Glass Ratner, and I was able to get in touch with people on the inside a day or two after that happened. Wow. Nobody else knew about it. And when I found out what was going on, I sat there for uh, a few hours <laughs> sitting here in my office going, I, I mean, I can't sit on this information. No, because Because I was already hearing rumblings. I was already mm -hmm. getting tweeted by filmmakers going, hey, I can't get a hold of distributor. Hey, guys, what's going on? Does anyone know what's going on? So there was already fear starting to, to rumble mm. through through the community. And and then I when I found everything out, I'm like, I've got I've kind of got to have to say something about this. Got to, yeah. And I, I didn't just say something about I came out guns ablaze. Guns ablaze. And as you should, you know, you've got a platform where people do listen to you and they do take you seriously. And you're going, well, hang on. People do need to know and be aware of this because it's about they're about to get ripped off or it's about to be a problem. So what, well, explain the situation. So, uh, with, like you say, distributor, people give them the film, say, right, these are the platforms and the money's coming back. Yeah, for an them. upfront fee, they would get, I think they were charging like $1,500 a platform, which is kind of ridiculous. But, but most of the aggregate is kind of, it's around that price or a bit lower. Yeah, for like a big, like for big aggregation deals and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's 1500 to 2000 But then they would upsell them. Mm -hmm. And then once once we started getting into the weeds about this, they they would upsell them like they would say, "Hey, you know, we need we're going to charge you five dollars for closed captioning." But then when I told them, "Oh, well, how about Rev?" You know, and they're like, "Oh, well, you know, Rev's a dollar a minute." And then they said, "Oh no, Rev is really bad. We can't use Rev." And then they would go and use Rev, right? Because I found that out because once I got, I mean, I I was as close to what was going on and talking to the people people of power as anybody else. I was negotiating. Like I was the middle, I was the voice of the independent filmmaker in the room mm -hmm. when they're talking to iTunes. So I like, I, I was brought in because I kind of threw myself into this position because I, I it's like nobody else is doing it. Mm -hmm. And you know, like I've told people before, I didn't get rich off of it by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. I was actually lost money doing it because I, I, I spent so much time. Um, it kind of completely engulfed me for two months. Mm -hmm. It was I was I mean you just look at the the history of that podcast during the time and my website. It was just constant updates, news, Facebook lives, and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of upselling, scamming going on, uh, or excuse me, uh, alleged things going on. But that what I said about like you know upselling and stuff like that, they would do it. Uh, and that's been, you know, said publicly already. And for filmmakers out there who are about to do this or have their film distributed, or this is vital information for you to know, to understand what... The game is played. How the game is played and how you've just got to be on top of it. What could filmmakers have done to, you know... Nothing. That's the thing. Nothing. The no, thing, because right? there was no precedence for it. There, are no, there had not been a film aggregator go under yet, let alone one of its size. Um, it affected over 2,000 filmmakers and, I don't know, thousands of films and millions of dollars. And, what, and that meant that you couldn't get anything back because it was now lost in a So a you, you of... lost the money that was owed to you. Yep. You lost the money that you paid up front. Mm -hmm. You lost any, re any re revenues or residuals that were coming in. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't get access to your film again, meaning that if it was on iTunes... You couldn't go to another distribution company and get it replaced. It was a, it's a complete, you no. know, com a complete shit show. So someone's, even though it's on iTunes and someone's buying it, you're not getting paid. 
But who is? I mean, that's the thing. So that the deal was like after a certain date, Glass Ratner, who is um, at the company that was brought on, they have a fiduciary responsibility and a legal responsibility uh, to do everything by the book. They can't f around. You know, mm-hmm. they work with multi-billion dollar companies. So after a certain date, any sales that came in will go 100% back to the um, to the filmmaker. Uh, before that date, it's pennies on the dollar. If you'll ever get anything, if you get anything, yeah. I mean, I I, I did. I got my money back. I had spent four thousand for my client mm-hmm. just to submit my two these two films for them, and uh, I got it back because I called my credit card company and said scam, right? And that was the advice I gave everybody, right? So let's go. Let's go back a little bit for those who don't know distribution yet. Obviously, this podcast we're talking heavily on distribution, how to yeah. distribute your film, which Alex has done very well with his two films. This is Meg and uh, On the Corner of Ego and Desire, mm-hmm. which did play at Raindance last year. Yeah. Which world I'll, premiered? It will premiered there, and which I was at, and a few of you lot turned up, and it was really nice uh, to see you guys there. And and the film did really well, and mm-hmm. it's great, and mm-hmm. it's out there now in the world. Yes. Now, let's talk about. Uh, the distribution model itself, and then we'll come back to that, and also Film Entrepreneur, your book as well, which talks heavily about this, and, and also how to get a film out there and be a film entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Then this book is, it's honestly one of the best books I have read on filmmaking in total. And I Thank put, you so much. For I haven't that. put my book out yet, so obviously, that there's, obviously, there's, there's obviously, sir. obviously, I'm, I'm, obviously we will battle in the arena, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but honest, I, I honestly, I, I will do a podcast about what I think the best books are, in, in, and there's lots, there's lots out there. Oh, but, yeah, absolutely. But Film Entrepreneur really gets deep into how you actually the business of it where you really should be thinking about where you should put your money where you shouldn't put your money where you should concentrate on selling your movie and the whole arc with distribution in today's world in today's world like literally like now literally happening because right a lot of books they're brilliant but they're also a little bit outdated and because things are changing now film entrepreneur is right now and it's right this second honestly i, I can't recommend this book enough uh, i you know, I've been pretty, chatting about it anyway. I appreciate but that so much. Man. It's great. You've done fantastic. And also, what was interesting is you've put yourself out there because mm. there's probably a few distributors and whatever going. Oh, this guy's sort of. Oh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you my stories of <laughs> AFM when I went to AFM yeah. this year as well. But to, let me go back to let me go back to um, uh, the film entrepreneur concept or, yes. the, or, or, or the film entrepreneur method. I wanted I want to come up with something that really focused on the entrepreneurial filmmaker in my. In my humble opinion, there is no other way forward for independent filmmakers other than being an entrepreneurial filmmaker. I'm not talking about the $5 million, $10 million movies. I'm not talking about the A24s, the Neons. That's in a different Different league. We are, that's the majors. Mm -hmm. And where most independent filmmakers play is on the minors. Totally is. It's just, you know, nothing against that. Nothing wrong with that. It's brilliant. You know, it's just where it is. So... You know, out of out of ten thousand movies, two hundred will be at that upper echelon. What happens to the rest of us? And there's a lot. And there's a lot, and more coming every day. Yeah, every day. So this method is built for that. And and if you don't start thinking of being an entrepreneurial filmmaker, you won't. You just won't make it. And it's, I know it's a bold statement. Will there be outliers? Always outliers. Oh, yeah. But they're but they're outliers, exactly what they are. Does everyone does someone somewhere in the world win a lottery every day? Yes. Yeah. So there is a chance. There's sure. It's like dumb and dumber. So you're yeah. saying there's a there's chance. There's a chance. There's a you're chance. saying there's a chance. Yes. And we're, you know, we're hopeful. Look, filmmakers are hopeful in general because why else would we get in this business? 
This is there's no security in this business. You get into it with a hopeful idea of what the world is like and what your career is going to be like. Yes. And we all think but, we might be the next Spielberg. <laughs> we all think we're Nolan or, yeah. or Fincher or yeah. Kubrick. And we and, are inside. And you know, and there's nothing wrong. And I'm not trying to say you're, you're not. Um, but the bottom line is it's kind of like wanting to play Major League Baseball or play mm-hmm. on a cricket team or, you know, or play <laughs> or, you know, look, I'm, I'm trying, I'm, look, I'm look, trying to play trying. with the audience. Yeah, here. I get you. Yeah, yeah. Or playing, uh, you know, or playing with them, you know, playing in the, what's the, the soccer team? The, wow. Go come on, on. Come on which one manchester united manchester and the other one liverpool what? liverpool yeah, right, those guys okay. <laughs> Excuse, don't shoot me i just all i know is from movies sorry, sorry. Those I great cricket it. teams manchester no no and i know cricket is not manchester and <laughs> liverpool i know that but i'm just saying okay, yeah. but imagine if you wanted to play um you know with liverpool yeah. or manchester how many guys play on that team 11 exactly how many people want to be on that team millions totally yeah. so there's just math Mm-hmm. And filmmakers need to understand that math. And is there a shot? Is there that you ever see that movie Rudy? Yeah, of course. Amazing. Okay, like, yeah. Sean is there is look, is there a chance you're gonna play on the on the team for two minutes? Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. He busted his balls for like four years, killing himself mm-hmm. for those two minutes. Yep. You know, is it possibility? Sure, but you have to think about things realistically. Yeah. And the entrepreneurial filmmaking uh, plan or the film entrepreneur method really focuses on that. Because you can't look at your movie like it was in the 90s. You can't look at your movies like most filmmakers look at their films like it's uh, you're competing with the studios. You're not competing with the studios. You will never compete with the studios. It is not. It's like fighting Mike Tyson in your five. Mm-hmm. It didn't. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So, but that's why their minds like I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a romantic comedy. And I'm, I'm, it's going to cost me 100000 I'm going to put nobody in it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be like really cute. And it's going to be awesome. And I'm like, hey, great. Great. hundred grand. First of all, that's actually not a bad price. Yeah. Actually, that's too smart. Let's say half a million. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You went too smart. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah. That's actually even, even too smart. Half a million dollars romantic comedy. And they're like, okay, how are you going to market this? Well, I'll go to Sundance. Mm-hmm. No. no. Okay. So when you don't get into Sundance, and because Sundance doesn't take romantic comedies. Totally. <laughs> When was the last romantic comedy that busted out at Sundance? Mm-hmm. Um, so where do you go with it? Where do you go with your film? Oh, well, well, I'll go to distributors. Oh, you're going to go with distributors. Okay. How much do you think they're going to pay you? Well, they're going to pay, are you going to get an MG? An MG is a minimum guarantee. Mm-hmm. So you think you're going to go to distributor. The distributor is going to look at your half a million dollar movie and going to go, with wow, no, with this no is names ama- in it. with no yeah. names yeah. in it. And we're shot on the red though. So it's good. Oh, well, there you go. We're good. We're good. A shot okay. on the red or the Alexa. We're, yeah. fi- we're good. We're yeah. solid. So then, uh, and then, sorry. And this person was in Supernatural once. Yes, it, it's, <laughs> <laughs> the lead actor, you know. No, that's too smart again. That's You're still too so smart. Sorry, so You're sorry. still too smart. Um, it's still too logical. Like you had, you had a TV actor. That would help. Good. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, fine, no. This fine. is nobody. Is it in an advert once. Give what that would do. <laughs> yeah. They were, they were once in a national spot in Zimbabwe. Yeah. I'm not sure who it is, yeah. but anyway. For Tampax. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, the, these filmmakers, and I've had these conversations, they'll expect to like, you know, yeah, I'll go to a distributor and they'll look at the quality of my genius mm-hmm. and they'll give me at least a half a million up front. Of course they so I could just cover my So I could just cover my, my, my cost yeah. and then I'll just take the percentage of everything else that comes in. In another world, in another time, that did make sense. In the 80s and in the 90s and even in the early 2000s when DVD was still a big thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
I'm not sure for the that romantic comedy, but there were still places, there were still moments in time where that business model made sense. In today's world, this is what will happen to that film. You will go to, uh, you will submit to your film to about 40 or 50 distributors. Uh, none of them will probably return your calls. You're probably going to submit, first of all, let me, let me back uh, go back a little bit. You'll submit to 40 or 50 film festivals. Yes. First. Okay. Yeah. You're going to spend about a thousand or two thousand in submission fees. Mm-hmm. You might get into like Moose Jaw in the middle of Wisconsin. I'm not sure if that's even a festival. So you go to the Moose Jaw International Music and Video Festival. I don't have know. Have your premiere there. And yep. you premiere. Oh, no. It's the one I have in my movie. The Uptown Downtown Film Festival. The Uptown Downtown. Yes, yes. Yeah. So nice. you go to the Uptown Downtown Film Festival in New York City. And you premiere there. And when you show up, you go to a theater. And in that theater, there's four people. And three of them you know so the other one is and the other filmmaker. one is lost yeah <laughs> so um, oh sorry wrong movie. this yeah. is not the avengers okay no. i'm sorry i'll go to the next theater so um and I, and again I, I i want everyone listening i'm i'm making fun of the scenario cuz i really want to kind of hit, um, hit hard yeah. on this i'm not making fun of filmmakers I, i'm a filmmaker i get it but i want you to kind of understand the mentality of a ridiculous filmmaker mind you i've been a ridiculous filmmaker Many of times. Sure. And as I read in my book, I wrote a whole chapter on how I screwed up $50,000 yep. on a short film. Uh-huh. I'm no... It's a lot of money on a short. Absolutely. Crazy. So then you go to the... So nothing happens at the film festival. You win no awards. That it would matter anyway. Then you start sending it out to all of the uh, distributors that you know. And you're going to go, hey, I'm going to go to AFM this year, American Film Market, because... Uh, you happen to live in LA, or you actually live in New York, and you're gonna fly out to LA. Yeah. So you spend that money you. to go yeah. out there, and, and you're gonna and you got to so stay you, somewhere that costs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're gonna spend one two or three grand just going to, if you're lucky, and you're gonna bring your producing partner too. So it's gonna be like four or five grand when it's all said and done. You're gonna come out there, you're gonna make take some meetings, and you're gonna notice that nobody wants your movie. Mm-hmm. Then you're gonna go desperate because you're gonna go, oh my god. The realization kicks in that you just spent a half a million dollars of your mom's money, your dad's money, your friend's money, whoever the investor was foolish enough or groups of investors were foolish enough to give you this money Mm -hmm. who are expecting some sort of, you know, your Nana. Your Nana now is going to live with you because she has to sell her house. Um, And I'm not exaggerating. I've heard these stories. Mm. This is not an exaggeration. So uh, now you're like, oh my God. And then, uh, when you go to AFM, you realize that nobody wants your movie. And then there's a couple of, of sharks swimming who smell the blood and they'll go, oh, okay, look, I'll take your movie on. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to take any, I'm not going to give you any money up front because I'm going to take a risk taking your movie. That's what they'll say. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to need it for about 15 years. 15. 15 yep. years, no money up front. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I, you know, I just need the time to be able to generate that revenue. <laughs> and I don't know where the market is is going to be mm-hmm. in the next year, let alone the next five. So I need to, you know, hedge my bets wow. to make sure uh, I'm able to generate enough revenue for you. Mm. And then you're so excited. You're like, oh, my God, I got it. And he goes, I'll get you up on iTunes. I'll get you up on all the platforms next week. Right. Done deal. Yeah. You don't have to spend a dime. I'll take uh, care of all that. Moon. Over the moon. Over the moon. Uh, and then you sign it because you're excited. And you're like, hey, Nana. It's going to be on iTunes. Yeah. And she goes, what's iTunes? Exactly. Yeah, but you know, all your still, friends, you tell all your point. friends. Yeah. And you tell all your friends to go out and rent your movie the first week. Mm. And six people rent it. 
because those are the six people that actually are going to spend money on it. And the rest mm-hmm. of them are going to sit on the sidelines and wait till it goes on Amazon Prime or someplace free yep. to watch it, if they even watch it. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I don't know. There is probably 10,000 shows and movies being released every week on a thousand different platforms who have budgets of $20 million an episode mm-hmm. with amazing storytelling, amazing acting, amazing genres, everything. Like Netflix is popping out how many movies yeah. a week and with shows a week. names that you know who they are. Right. Yeah. So you're competing against all of that. Mm-hmm. And now your little movie gets thrown into the pool. And you're gone. It's it's a red ocean, as I like to say in the yeah. book, the red, the blue ocean, red ocean theory, which we'll talk about in a second. So then now you're waiting for the money to come in. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, it's been three months, first quarter payments. You get her, you get your your statement, oh, and exciting. when you get and you're excited, you're yeah. like, oh man, and you see twenty thousand dollars, and you're like, well, hey, you know what? That's better than nothing. It is because now at this point. On a half a million dollar investment, $20,000 is a success. Yes. I want you to clear, I want everyone <laughs> listening to understand what this is. This is not an outlier scenario. This is the commonplace of independent film today. And in your mind as a filmmaker, you're going, well, 20000 is better than nothing. I mean, you know, it'll grow. You're hopeful. You have no other way to think. Because if you think about the reality of it, you're just going to go be depressed for the rest of your life. So you're like, all right, and you open the check, and there is no check. You're like, where's the check? Yeah, it says and you twenty thousand. You said twenty thousand on the report, and you keep going down. Uh-huh. And by the, at the time of your ending, at the, the, the there is a negative forty thousand dollars. So you owe the distributor forty thousand for expenses. Yeah. And by the way, because you didn't have an attorney, an enter- a real entertainment attorney, look at this contract mm-hmm. you signed because you were so desperate and excited, and it was the only. Only guy who was going to take you to the prom, mm-hmm. um, you didn't notice that they didn't cap the expenses. So that means that from now until the next 15 years, they can keep adding expenses, which you'll never be able to prove otherwise. Sure. You're never really going to be able to audit because you don't have audit rights in it because you didn't put that in the agreement. You also didn't look into cross-collateralization. You also didn't look into all these other little tricks of the trade that are in these contracts Mm -hmm. to screw you Mm. because this whole industry the distribution side of the business is designed to screw the filmmaker and i i mean are there good and i've said this a thousand times are there good distributors out there who are honest and and honorable Mm -hmm. and truly want to help filmmakers absolutely i know many of them personally yeah i can't count them on one or hand (laughs) (laughs) but they are there but they're there yeah but i can count them on one or two Mm -hmm. hands um, the majority of them are not. They're there for their own self-interest because that is business. Mm-hmm. When you walk into a contract, you generally don't want to give away everything to the to the other party. And because we're desperate filmmakers, we exactly. Sort of go, and yes, you're, you're, you know de- what you're, you're doing. Desperate filmmakers, mm. ignorant filmmakers, yeah. um, and hopeful filmmakers is a very dangerous thing. So what we're saying is you have to understand the business side of it. You have yeah, well, if to you want to do there. this again, yeah, it's a very expensive art form. Mm-hmm. This is not a, this is not painting. This is not making music. This yeah. is not, you know, you know, drawing on a piece of paper. It's an expensive art form. One of the most expensive art forms on the planet. Mm-hmm. And if you want to play with big toys, big toys cost big money. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to be, you know, you want your vision to be bigger. It's going to cost money. Yeah. So you know, could they made that same movie, that same romantic comedy? With nobody in it, which, by the way, there is a business model for that to work. 
Okay. Absolutely. Sure. Um, could they have made that for 50 grand? Could they have made that for 25 grand? Could they have made it for 10 grand? Yeah. Was this your first movie? Could you have made it for nothing? You could you have made it for, you know, no. could you have grabbed a couple of your mates, mates and your friends and, and go out something. and shot something mm-hmm. and made and see what happens mm-hmm. that you financed yourself without yeah. bringing your Nana into yeah. this? <laughs> yeah, because your poor Nana now so, lives with you. So I, I, I kind of painted this very dystopian image of, of distribution right now because it is the reality we live in right mm. now. And by the way, it's not going to get any better. See, that's interesting, isn't it? That it's not going to get no, any better. No, no, because, and I'll explain to you why it's not going to get any better. Mm. The entire industry has shifted so rapidly that the the distribution side of the business cannot keep up. They don't know where they're making their money anymore. They just don't. They're, they're sheep running from each, running from one corner of the room to another because they're like, oh, that's where it's going to go. Oh, and we're going to go over here now. Oh, this is where the money is. Mm. Oh, it's OTT. No, it's SVOD. No, it's TVOD. No, it's AVOD. AVOD now. It's AVOD. Yeah, yeah. No, that's where the money is now. So we got to do AVOD. And okay, so we need to acquire as many. That that's they don't know. And I learned that this year at AFM when I went to AFM. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you a quick story about AFM. When I was at AFM this year, which was right in the heat of the distributor thing, mm. so I was definitely on the radar of a lot of people. <laughs> I was invited in by multiple distribution companies who reached out to me. Wow. Who wanted me to sell them to the community of filmmakers oh. who were hurt by distributor? Wow! Because I created a Facebook uh, a Facebook group mm-hmm. that's become this this thing now. Yeah, um, which is called now. I, it used to be called Protect Yourself from Distributor, and I changed the name to Protect Yourself from Predatory Film Distributors slash Aggregators. Great, perfect, and uh, it's grown exponentially. And uh, it is like this safe haven of information about what's going on in the industry. So if you're just, uh, and, and Giles will put it in the um, in the show notes, yeah. but that Facebook group turned into this, I mean, we're talking about over a thousand, we have, I think we're at 1,300 of this mm-hmm. recording of filmmakers who are interested in, in, in filmmaking and in, in distribution. So they, I, I would go to these meetings and I would just sit them and I'd be like, so what's your business model? And they would throw this stuff out and I was just like, it's all the same crap, just different flavors of the same stuff and then i would just i just turned to him once and i just said can i ask you a question you guys really don't know what what you're doing do you like straight up i'm like you you have no idea where the money's going to be next year wow and they said no and i quote we're throwing up as much stuff against the wall as we can to see what sticks jesus these were major distributors i thought it's, it's frightening it's absolutely frightening. So filmmakers out there, it's frightening. So Alex, what is the best way for people to move forward? What's the best thing they can do right now as an independent filmmaker to go, right, I want to make this film, but I've got to think about distribution. How do I go about it? So the thing is that you can't think about distribution as an afterthought. It has to be thought about in the creative part. Mm-hmm. I consider distribution as creative with the film entrepreneur method as the making of the film. Cause I, I have one, I'm one of those weird artists that understand business. Like artists generally are not business people. Yeah. I've always had both sides. So I've always been artistic, but I've always had business, uh, you know, balance as well. So I, I love distribution. I love marketing and I love making a movie. I love writing a movie. I love working with actors. I, I love the whole process. But if you think about distribution after the edits locked, you're dead. Mm-hmm. You have to think about it before you make your movie. 
So the method I, I realized that works, and in the book I talk about, I, I show case study after case study after case study for every section. Every, I think every single point of the method, every chapter has multiple case studies. Yes. Because uh, I wanted to be very clear about like, this works. Mm-hmm. And it works at all levels. Mm-hmm. It works at the $1,000 movie and it works at the million dollar movie. Um, the, the, the key is you have to think about the niche. So as I say, the riches are in the niches. And when I say niche is, let's go back to that romantic comedy. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll like this because I'm sure you got a, kick, a giggle out of it when you read it in the book. So instead of making a movie, a romantic comedy, which is a very broad, you're trying to reach a very broad audience. Mm-hmm. You can't, as an independent filmmaker, reach a broad audience. It's, un- you're not po- it's not possible. You don't have the resources, the infrastructure, the money, nothing. Mm-hmm. Studios have problems. Like, look, it was you know uh, a few a few months or a few weeks ago, uh, Birds of Prey, yes, yeah, yeah. died on the vine. Mm. This new Harrison Ford movie, White Fang, Oof. just lost fifty million. Wow. Cats, you cats, come on now, you know, Oof. which I'm dying to see. Honestly. But he's probably going to make money in the end because no, everyone's dying no, to dead. see it. No, it's dead. It's oh, dead. You think no, 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 it's dead. It's dead. It's right. it's <laughs> it, it lost one hundred seventy five million. Not nine lives. No, 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 no. no. Okay. My my favorite my favorite <laughs> uh, review of Cats was. From Twitter, and the guy said, "Cats is the worst thing to happen to cats since dogs." <laughs> and I saw. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm dying to see it because because you it's once in a generation you've got to watch that it you just see a movie that yeah. a studio puts a hundred million dollars into that is that fails on every single on, on every on every level. Yeah, on every level. Yeah. Um, and that the actors didn't even know what was going on until after the movie comes out. They're like we were just in green suits. I know we didn't know we it was going to look like that. Anyway, I, I, that's yeah, a whole other is, podcast yeah. for another thing. Um, where was I? I lost my train of thought. Oh, fuck yeah, <laughs> Cats. So this is the romantic comedy. You okay, it's a romantic about, comedy. Yeah. Okay, so you've got, so you got this romantic. Co- so you can't compete. You can't compete with the studios, right? And that's no. where filmmakers make that mistake. They like I think you can. I'm you gonna can. I'm gonna make an action movie. I'm gonna make a horror movie. I'm gonna make a drama. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna make these general films, you will not make it in today's marketplace. In the 1980s, you can make a movie like that. And just because you just literally were one of the handful of people that actually made a movie and finished it, mm-hmm. it was sold because there was no content. Now, there's so much competition for eyeballs, so much content being pumped out every day that you need to have something that cuts through all of that. And the niche is the most powerful thing uh, a filmmaker has in their arsenal. Mm to make money with their film and get their film seen. So instead of making a romantic comedy, which is very broad, you find a niche audience that you can make a romantic comedy about. And in my book, I talk about the vegan chef movie. Crazy Sexy Vegan. Crazy, crazy Sexy Vegan, it's I know. It's a great title. I, 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 I might steal it. You, yeah. look, look, I'm <laughs> You've waiting. said this for a while. You I'm waiting for someone, to, for someone to make this movie. Yeah. I'm waiting for someone to make this movie so I can sue them. No, I'm just, <laughs> I know. I know, seriously, no, no. Uh, I, I promise you, probably no one's going to do it. No? Because they're scared. <laughs> well, obviously, as you know, with the vegan documentary we're making that you yeah. are in, and thank you so much for being in it. Um, yeah, it's it's in the niches, and it's something, or niche, we say in the UK. Of, uh, I said niches. But the niches, in, niches are in the riches doesn't sound as good. No, it doesn't. The niches are in the riches. You see, it's just. It's the just niches are in the beaches. No, it doesn't no, no, work, it doesn't work so, that way. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> But but the vegan documentary. Yeah, yeah. So for a perfect example, Game Changers. Yes, look at that. Um, Game Changers, which is a vegan documentary about athletes, vegan athletes, which 
uh, I think was the number one documentary on iTunes 100%. of all time. Yeah, 100%. Right I know right. iTunes, um, excuse me, I know Netflix paid them obscene amounts of money mm-hmm. for the rights. And it was because it was a niche. Mm-hmm. The vegan niche, it is so powerful. Yep. It is a growth niche. Yep. Now, again, it only makes sense. And by the way, when you're choosing a niche, you can't do it because of the money. Because if you eat barbecue every week, yeah, then don't, don't uh, it's not going to work. You have to have an authenticity to it. You know, both Jaws and I are both vegan, so this this vegan chef movie makes sense. Totally. Um, and then the concept of the 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 romantic comedy that's a vegan chef movie called Crazy Sexy Vegan is imagine a vegan chef meets a barbecue champion and they and they fall in love, and uh, and then all help break, breaks loose because of all of this. I mean, it just writes itself. It does. It writes. Itself. It writes its own. Yeah. And um. And now you've taken your romantic comedy that was aimed at a very broad audience. Now you've aimed it at an audience that you could actually reach out to. You could actually build an audience. You can build groups of people who are vegans and and aim at them through Facebook ads, through um, just building out an audience organically. You should be doing this a year in advance. Mm -hmm. All this kind of stuff. You have to think about this as a business. So, you know, and, and considering that there is no romantic comedy vegan movie out there yeah i i i guesstimate that if you made a really good romantic comedy that happened to be about a vegan chef and you marketed it as such Mm -hmm. to that community and also to spill-off communities like vegetarians plant-based eaters like there's all sorts of different audiences that that will spill off to yes if you partner with proper companies that you can leverage their their email list and leverage their cup so if i if i call it beyond the meat or impossible, yep. mm-hmm. uh, impossible foods, and go. Hey guys, I you know one of you guys want to be in my movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want, don't want any money. If you want to give me a little bit of meat so I can cook it up in the in the show, great. Um, you know maybe when my movie comes out, you can send it out to your email list, mm-hmm. and I'll promote your product. You could promote my movie, and it'll be all great. Exactly. And also, I have a really famous vegan chef in there, yes. which is another thing. Where another thing I talk about in the in the book is. It's not always about the movie star. It's about the niche star. So if you're making a horror movie with Robert England, yep. who happened to be Fred, the original Freddy, he's bigger than Tom Cruise is in the horror niche. Totally. Phil Hawkins knows that. He's been on the podcast many times and hosted it with me. He made one with him as well. Right. And yeah, totally. It's that horror niche that works. It works for him. And, and a vegan chef who has a very, is very big in the vegan space mm-hmm. or anybody in the vegan space that happens to be big that's known, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden they have a lot more value. You get a lot more ROI. Return on investment, which is what's really important, right? It's so important to do. Yeah, that. when you buy, when you spend, you know, a million dollars or twenty million dollars on Will Smith, yeah, which doesn't happen as much anymore. But when you do, on a big movie star, you're buying their audience, mm-hmm. you're buying their appeal to a large audience. When you hire a a niche actor or a niche personality mm-hmm. to be in your movie, you're going to get them at a bargain. Because they're just, they only make sense in a certain niche, in a certain kind of project. Mm-hmm. So Robert England in an action movie doesn't nah. really do, in a drama doesn't mm-hmm. really do anything. Sure. Um, in a comedy mm-hmm. means nothing. No, unless it's a, uh, unless a, horror, it's a comedy. horror comedy. Yeah, yeah, but it means nothing, mm-hmm. really. So, but in a horror movie, he means something and he means something to the bottom line. And you'll be able to afford him mm-hmm. for a day. Yep. or two, yeah. and shoot them out, 
and all of a sudden you've got him on your cover and he means something to that audience. Mm -hmm. So now the ROI, so if let's say you pay, I don't know what Robert's going right on, but let's say you pay him Mm 20,000 for a day or two, um, which might be in a reasonable state. I don't know what his going rate is, but let's say it's 20,000, then you know, you're going to get an ROI on that. Yeah. Whereas if you had to hire a big movie star because you're trying to go after a generalized big market, you're not going to get that. Totally. You're not going to spend the 20 million. Like, yeah. you can't play at that level. Yeah. You can't get Nick Cage. Nick Cage is a million dollars. A movie, yeah, sure. He's a million bucks, I think, for for a week. I mean, he's a million bucks a week. Um, you know, you know, Stallone was, you know, about a million bucks a week. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, because you're trying to tap into their so audiences. Audience, yeah, but you won't necessarily put them into a romantic comedy. No. Like you say, you no. go, well, let's play on the strength because we need to make money back on this movie because we're making it for fuck all. So It's business. It's business. It, it's business. So you're saying you've got to think about uh, your niche audience straight away. You've got to think about potentially putting, maybe putting someone in it or whatever your ROI is mm-hmm. to think about from the beginning. Yeah. So now you've done that. You've thought about that. From the very beginning, you say, right. I'm, and you're cultivating the audience while you're going through you've it. You've got to. Yeah, you've, what, you're building out your audience. So important. And you're building out content for that audience. Mm-hmm. And you, you've built out a website. You've built out your social media. Yep. You're bringing them along. You're providing value to them in that niche. Uh, in that niche, so niche, niche. Um, <laughs> so let's say that you want you, you're starting six months before you start shooting. You start building up a vegan community. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? You curate. Uh, I said in the book, entertain, educate, or uh, motivate. Fine. Those are the three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you create content about around it. Now you don't even have to create content. You can curate content. Find it from somewhere else. You can I like the word you curate. can post post <laughs> other people's websites, other people's videos. Of course you can. And you start cultivating an audience. Once you start getting into that world, then you start inserting your own stuff. Like, hey, guys, I'm making a movie because now I've been a trusted. I, I've I've built a relationship. There's a there's a there's a contract that you have with your followers. Mm-hmm. When I follow you on Twitter, follow you on on Facebook, on YouTube, or I go to your website or sign up for your email list, there's a convert. There's a, an unwritten contract that's written that I'm going to provide value to you, and I'm going to take I'm going to take your I'm going to take your time seriously. And if I continue to provide that value to you, then, oh, by the way, here's something back. back. Yeah. By the way, oh, we've just released, (sighs) we've released this film or, oh, we've got some t-shirts out. Oh, just whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, it's so important to do that. And and I do have some filmmakers who say, oh, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to hold back until it's, we don't want to do social media yet. You're not Batman in 1989, dude. No one cares. I'm the same. Why wouldn't you put stuff out? Who gives is a, a a picture from set? As long as it's not got spoilers on it, you think that's going to stop someone buying it in six months' time, a it, year's it, time? It's come on. It's a, it's yeah it's a, yeah God for yeah, yeah. I, no, Look, I do it too. Look, I hold I hold I used to hold back all the time, and now I try to bring people in all the time. Like with ego and desire, I didn't tell anybody I was doing it. To yeah. be fair, I, you know, it, it took about two months to get the whole damn thing ready, so I didn't have time yeah. to to go anyway. And I thought it'd be like, well, you know, we're at Sundance; it'll be a big surprise. It'll be yeah. it'll be kind of cool. Um, and it it was. But normally, if I would have had a longer lead time on a, on a project, I lay it out like I did with the book. Mm-hmm. The book was in pre order six months before I finally it was, released yeah. it. Yeah. Um. And and the website launched right away, and the podcast launched right away because I was already cultivating an audience for my book. And for future courses, future workshops, mm-hmm. future other things that I could provide value. The key is providing value to an audience. Now, 
when I'm going to take, I'm going to go back for a second, then we're going to talk about how to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, but the niche, how powerful the niche is this. When I heard about the movie Game Changers, yeah, it was on my radar and it was, I was dying to see it mm-hmm. because it's extremely important to me because I wanted to just see a, a really good documentary about vegan athletes that didn't exist. Yes. It really hadn't. Or if it had, no, they did a horrible job because yeah, I didn't exactly. get to didn't hear of it. So uh, I kept looking forward, looking forward. I almost went to the theater to see it. That's how much I wanted to see it. Because wow. here in LA, it was playing for like a day somewhere. And I was like, uh, you know, and I was trying to get my wife to go. And with the kids, it was hard. But the second it came out, like the day it came out, I rented it. Mm-hmm. And I watched it. And But you see, the thing was that it cut through all other media for me. The the next episode of whatever show I was watching can wait. Mm-hmm. The new Avengers movie that's coming out can wait. Yeah, everything else stopped for for an hour and a half, and it cut through all of the billions of dollars of marketing that people aim at me yeah. and you every day, because it hit me on an emotional level, mm. and that's the power of a niche. You're connecting with your audience member, not in just a purely entertainment standpoint. But an emotional standpoint, which is more powerful than anything that Hollywood has uh, or can throw into uh, throw at you. So, yeah, that emotion is the biggest asset you have in your film entrepreneurial toolbox, mm-hmm. and it can work with a documentary, which works very well. Uh, and I have multiple documentary case studies, but it also works in narrative if you know what buttons to push, mm-hmm. and who you're going after. So Range 15 was a great example, yep. which was all military, yeah. uh, military families, military people, ex-vets. Ex which is a horror sort of comedy. It uh, was like a horror comedy that mm-hmm. was built directly for them. Mm-hmm. They didn't give a F all about anybody else. It was aimed at, at them 100%. But because it did so successful, it did so well, that ble- bled out sure, into other people. Yeah, and Great. they got and by the at the end they got screwed too by distributor. Um, oh, but they did get the three million first out oh, over good. the first two years. But then, like towards the end, they oh, got screwed too. Fuck. So the power of the niche <clears throat> is the most important thing an independent filmmaker has. Yeah, if you don't think this way, you will not make it. Period. Now I have a whole chapter in the book about art films. Yes, and like oh, yeah. but j- 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 film is cinema is art, and you shouldn't be thinking about movie. I'm like, look. The film entrepreneur method works for art films. You can make an art film. If you want to make another art film, you need to make money. If you're independently financed, this is not your book. Mm-hmm. If you don't care about making a movie, this is not money. It's not your book. Yeah. 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 Um, if you want to do what you want to do, God bless you. Do it. If you want five people to watch it, great. It doesn't matter. Yeah. If you want to make $3,000 movies, which I have nothing against because that's what I, my budgets of my films. Uh-huh. Good. Make them. Um, if you have an endless supply of money that you can just keep doing that once a year, you have to worry about it. Yeah. Submit it to a few festivals. But you have to understand who you are at that point. You're a hobbyist. Yes. Very different. You're yeah. a hobbyist. And that's cool. Good for you. I can go out and buy a, a, a guitar right now and start teaching myself how to play a guitar. Sure. Until I pay my rent with that guitar, mm-hmm. it's a hobby, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So true. It could be my dream, but it's a hobby. Yeah. When you pay your rent, put food on the table with your art, now you're a professional artist. Mm. You're a professional in this in, in whatever arena you're in. There's nothing wrong with being a hobbyist, but you need to understand who you are and what your end game is. Right. And you need to understand that end game at the beginning. Is the end game of 
the movie you're about to make money? Is it about getting exposure? Is it about using it as a showpiece uh, because you're trying to play the Hollywood game? That's another podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to find out why you are doing what you're doing because if you don't understand why you're doing it, you're going to fail. Yeah, You're going to be disappointed uh, and the people around you that, you that you bring along on your journey will be pissed and, and disappointed too. Trust me, I've been there a million times and I've seen it a million times. So to now talk about how to make money yes. with this niche film. The key is to not only think of the one revenue stream, which is where most filmmakers make their mistake. They think the only way they're going to be able to make money with their film is using a traditional distributor or being bought by a traditional distributor. Because why? Because that is what we've been taught forever. Mm -hmm. That is what Hollywood teaches you. That's what the system teaches you. Because it's in their best interest to keep that crop of fresh films coming in that they can take advantage of. Yeah. And nowadays, there's so much content, so many movies. You To see an MG, oh my God, your movie has to be like astronomical. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. And, and you're not going to get the... Generally, you're not going to get the price that you paid for it. You know, so like if you have like a $100,000 movie, you get a 30,000 MG. Jesus, that's a, that, that, that's a, that's a, oh my God, you're like slam dunking it. Again, no other business in the world mm-hmm. where you'll put a hundred grand and get 30 back and go, yeah, I made it. Uh-huh. This is not sustainable. It's not. It's not a sustainable enterprise. No. So you have to think about ancillary product lines, ancillary services. You have to think of an ecosystem that you can build out around your film. And these other revenue streams, which should be multiple, you need to control yourself. When you and, and by the way, traditional distributors can be a part of that that ecosystem. Yeah. But you cannot just give your your movie away in hopes that someone's gonna write you a check. Those that's naive and that those days are over. Yeah. They're just not it's over. So when you're creating this ecosystem, we'll go back to crazy, sexy, vegan. All right, so we have our, our romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. We have our, our niche star in it. We got all this stuff. We've built up this audience. So now that you've cultivated this audience, obviously they're going to be really excited about watching the movie, but could you make other products or services that could help them? So could you make, uh, obviously, T-shirts and hats. That's low-hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. Great. Could you make uh, vegan aprons? Mm-hmm. Um, partner with you know, partner or sell kitchenware, you know, or becoming becoming an affiliate for kitchenware or Mm -hmm. things that are aimed at vegans. Uh, And an affiliate, I could tell, an affiliate marketer is someone who uh, you sell a product like on Amazon and you get a percentage of the sale. That's a revenue stream. Mm -hmm. Cost you nothing and you're just providing a service to your audience that they want. You're not trying to steal from them or anything. You're giving them what they want. They're like, you know, I'm a vegan. Like I saw that movie, Fat Sick, uh, Fat Sick and Nearly Dead, yeah, yep. which was a great documentary about juicing. Well, guess what juicer I went to go get afterwards? The Breville. Yep. Because the Breville was the one in his movie. Mm-hmm. There you go. Appetizing. And if he sold it to me, he gets a piece of that. Yeah. There you go. So um, so now you're creating uh, different revenue streams from that movie. So t-shirts, hats, aprons, affiliates for cooking stuff. Do you think they maybe want to buy an online cooking course about how to be a vegan? Mm-hmm. Of course they would. Could, they, could you actually write that into the movie? Yeah. That could be part of the story plot. So you're yeah. already inserting that idea into the audience's head while you're making it. Um, would, would they want, um, could they possibly want 
uh, services like how to uh, or books, obviously books, cooking books, mm-hmm. how to change it and go into a vegan lifestyle. Um, there's so many. There's just it's just endless, it's just endless, and it's just endless time. amounts of things. Could you create a service where you have coaches coach people through how to turn their life more plant based? Mm-hmm. Education products, all these things. There's so many ways to make money, and the same with because that, that's great for me by the way um but in terms of for someone who's making an action film or a low budget you know drama um what i suppose they're going well how do i do that with mine how do i find those little niches so there? if you're first of all you said both things action film too broad drama too broad mm-hmm. so is your if drama, it's a gay action so it's it's if it's a gay action film there you go. you've got an audience mm-hmm. and there might be less op there might be less products that you could sell or there could be more depending on how you structure the movie how you structure the ecosystem it all depends on what it is Mm. um if you're doing a drama like i I know of a few filmmakers who had um dramas about autistic yeah and autistic kids that's a monster um niche audience and it's an underserved audience because there's so many people who want to see positive portrayals of people with autism and yeah. stories about the struggles, stories about overcoming. They want those things. They want to conceive and they want to show their children. They want to show their friends. That is, and I, and I know a couple of filmmakers I've had on the show who've done this. Yeah. And it's an amazing audience to fill. Like, and then could you partner with, a, you know, autistic um, foundation or Got something it. like yeah. that? You've got to angle it in a way that yes. there has to be something special about the story. Can you change one of the characters? Uh, and it has to be authentic and organic. You can't just jam something in there. Mm. You can't jam a vegan in just because. Yes. No, totally. If you're making a drama about you know the, the struggles between you and your parents and you just happen to make your brother vegan, that's not going to work. Totally. Well, there's, there's a vegan in the dead, but it's not a vegan movie. I'm not pushing that as a, please go see this movie because it's vegan. Correct. It's not at all. It no. has to be around the yeah. subject matter. It has Absolutely. to be around what the niche audience wants. Mm-hmm. So could you make a basket weaving documentary or a basket weaving drama? Um, I don't know. Check out the basket weaving. You know, Community. do research. Yeah. Does any of them want to watch? Is a there? Movie? Is there? A, a, there are there millions of basket weavers around the world who want to watch a drama about basket weaving? Probably is. Probably is. Look, I Maybe. met a, I met I met a woman who teaches um, knitting. Yeah. It makes millions a year. Who thought that the swim documentary? You know. Oh yeah. Who thought that would suddenly fly and go? That made over a million dollars. What's the best way then? People have got the film. They've got a niche audience. How do then they go, right, now I need to dispute that myself. How how would they get out there and make sure they're not screwed over or make sure that they're in the right hands? Uh, buy the book, first of all. First of all, Obviously, buy, the buy, the, buy my book. Because there's two chapters in it just on predatory film distribution. Yes. And film aggregation and all the tricks of the trade of what they do. So that'll help you out. Um, educate, 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 educate yourself as much as humanly possible. Um, resources like your podcast... Um, indie Film Hustle, filmtrepreneur.com, indiefilmhustle.com, the podcast, the blogs, um, go, sign up for the Facebook group. If you want to know about distribution, that's the latest, like, hey guys, there's a new scam going on. Hey guys, this is what's going on. Hey, this is a great new revenue stream. I got paid from these guys. That is like, it, it, there's nothing else that exists like this in the world, that little Facebook group. There's so much information in that Facebook group. It's massive. Yeah. Um, but you just need to educate yourself about the process. Look, it's not sexy. No, it's not. The, you know, it's not the cool lens. It's not the new cameras, not the 35K 
you know, Im, you know, image that you're going to shoot or whatever K it is at this yeah. point. Um, it's not the cool editing or visual effects. It's not as cool as being on set and hanging out with actors or actresses and doing all that stuff. That's yeah. all the cool, sexy part. But if you don't understand this part, that's the fa- the business is the foundation. Yeah. You know, if you don't understand the business, you will not be able to make this. It's just too expensive. And I know so many filmmakers have one or done. Yeah. You know, and they're done and that's it. And what about the, when you say you do get a contract from a distribution company, what to look out for? Because there's so many things get to look out Get an entertainment for. attorney. Yeah. Don't get Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob, who's a real estate attorney, who has no idea what it is. And goes, oh, it looks good. It yeah, looks yeah, fine. Yeah. No, yeah. don't let Uncle Bob do it. You need an experienced entertainment attorney who knows this and has been doing this for years. Correct. Yeah. And let them look it over. You should also educate yourself on certain languages. I, I'm not an attorney. Uh, but I can look at a contract and I can see the the tricks. Yeah. And even then I still don't see all the, you know, there's certain wording, there's certain ways they put things. You got to have an attorney look at it, but you should educate yourself on all of these tricks of the trade. So you can ask, like I had filmmaker friends of mine who when, when the, the the predatory distributor would, would call them, they're like, oh, do you do cross collateralization? Oh, do you do, what's your, what's your uh, market cap? Oh, do you have expenses? Oh, what do you do? And, he, and they just hang up. Because they, yeah. they're like, oh, this guy's too smart. I don't want to deal with him. And it was out. It was fascinating to me. He's like, yeah, yeah, no, okay. And they just would just literally hang up on them. Yeah. Because they just knew, like, oh, I can't screw this guy over. Yep. So education is the most powerful tool you have. Absolutely. Because expensive cap is one that I think a lot more filmmakers are understanding now. But you mentioned two but more there's, there. Yeah, but look, cross collateralization like, just takes care of that. Exp- th- there you go. You'll never get paid. Yes. You'll never get paid with cross-collaboration, ever. And there's so many other little little tricks of the trade that they do inside those contracts to to literally make sure you get screwed over. Yeah. And whatever that marketing cap is, understand that, that it will top that. Yes, it just will. That'll keep going. You'll, you, the first $100,000, if that's the cap, is gone. Yep. You'll never see. You'll never see it. A dime. That's ever. automatic. Yeah. I've never seen a distributor go, yeah, we only spend 20 grand. Yeah, because no, no, no. 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 So they had a holiday on it. No, no. The book really goes deep into this stuff does, and, and yeah. explains it. Look for, you know, 25 bucks or however much it is in pounds mm-hmm. um, or the, or free on Audible if you sign up. Totally, sign yeah. Up. There's, there's so many, there's so much value in that book. Mm-hmm. Like I could have easily charged thousands of dollars for the information totally in that book. Good. But I, I wanted to put it out there. I wanted the conversation to change. I want filmmakers to start thinking differently mm-hmm. because if they think the way it was in the nineties, they're going to just get, cr- they're going to get crushed. Yes. But what, when the next correction happens, mm-hmm. when the, the bubble pops, yep. which it will, we're due. It's cyclical. It's going to happen. Yep. It's not conspiracy theory. Everyone knows something's coming when it's coming. It could be tomorrow. It could be two years from now, but we're due. We're late. Yeah. Actually, yeah. It's been what ten years? It's the longest bull run. It's it, like done since well. the eighties. We've done well since the eighties. I know. And look what happened after that. So, um, so protect yourself. So right? protect. So and that's a financial show. We'll talk about that later. But <laughs> in the financial world, if the economy tanks or when the economy goes down again, um, what do you think is going to happen to these distributors who are barely holding on now? Mm-hmm. They're barely hanging in there with the technology changes and. All the all the things how the industry is changing altogether. AFM cut two days or three days out of their out of their event. It used to be ten days. Now it's like six or seven. Wow! You know, last year was three hundred seventeen distributors showed up. The year before that was eight hundred. Wow! 
There's a substantial shift in the marketplace. There's a substantial shift in the whole world. Um, China shut off. So people were selling movies to China left and right Mm. because of the trade embargo that changed. That screwed a lot of people up. There was millions of dollars left on the table. Mm. There's The world is changing so rapidly. So what do you think when money gets tight? What's going to happen? It's going to become more predatory. Mm -hmm. They're going to go, screw you. I'm just going to go bankrupt. I'll never pay you. Uh, Come get it. Uh Uh, It's going to get really nasty. So if you only have that one revenue stream, you're screwed. But if you've created all these other ancillary revenue streams where you honestly don't even care if you make money off the movie because mm-hmm. you've structured your ecosystem so well that money's coming in all over all over the place and you control all of those revenue streams without having to deal with a shady distributor a shady distributor predatory distributor yeah you're good mm-hmm. many books many movies in the book that I, I, I use as case studies they literally give their movies away now yep yeah because they're lost leaders at this point totally yeah they're just like i want you to come into my ecosystem because we're selling all sorts of other things and i want to and at the end of the day it's not about trying to hustle Uh somebody or trying to cheat somebody it's about trying to create value for your customer authentic organic value and if you're able to do that you will survive the next 10 or 15 years as a filmmaker you know, I already want to write the second version of this book. I, I mean, the second right. edition. I already, like after two months after it was already, released, you, like, I'm like, there's so much more I got to put in it. Totally. So maybe next year, I'll, I'll, it's too early. It's only been out for three months. So I can't write another one, but um, but I'll probably we'll do, uh, but I'm going to do courses on it. I'm going to be releasing an academy, a film entrepreneur academy mm-hmm. coming out uh, in the next six months or so. So I'm going to, there I'll be able to do a lot more updated, more in-depth stuff Uh teaching these methods and teaching because the things again the revenue streams are coming and going mm-hmm. every day new new opportunities are, are springing up old opportunities are going away yeah if you don't understand what the market is and the way it's shifting just understand that nothing is permanent before it was before you had xyz now it's all the letters mixed up every day and you just don't know where it's going to come from anymore and again wait until the next thing happens where the economy does tank just wait to see how the whole system. I feel. I personally think that the entire system is going to come crashing down uh, on itself. Uh, distributors in general are going to have a really tough time, and I think the studio systems. There's only six, really six, arguably big studios anymore. Mm-hmm. I think three of them are probably in good shape to survive a real hit. The other ones aren't, and they'll be gobbled up by Apple or Google or Facebook. Wow! Um, but it's already happening. 20th Century Fox is gone. Scary. 20th Century Jesus. Fox is gone. Disney bought them and said, yeah, we're not going to even call it 20th Century Fox oh, anymore. It's gone now. It's gone. So wow. things are changing. Par- you- Paramount, Sony, Jeez. Lionsgate. Oh, don't, like, oh, don't say Lionsgate. They've picked up mine. No, no, <laughs> I understand. No, they'll be bought by somebody else. Oh, cool. So this is around. No, no, oh, Google yeah. will buy them. Apple will right, buy them. Right. Facebook will buy them. You know, they have cash, so they'll buy them and, and they'll put them up on their streaming services. Was that mean for filmmakers? I don't know. If you're expecting to get massive money, don't. Like I just had a guy, I just had a guy on the on the on the, um, on the Facebook group who uh, came up and he's like, "Oh yeah, I just put my movie up on on Amazon, and it was watched sixty times, and I got my first check for five dollars yeah. and sixty two cents." Wow, big time. <laughs> I'm before, in the money. Before, <laughs> before you would that would have been at four dollars a, a rental. Totally, that's some money. Mm. It's five dollars and sixty two cents. 
Wow. There's a devaluation of our media. It's the same thing that happened in the music industry. Yeah. If you want to see where we went or we're going, look at just, the music look, just look at the music industry. Totally. And you'll go there. And we can keep talking forever, but I know you got to go. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> uh, Alex, honestly, thank you so much. And if you haven't uh, watched On the Corner of Ego and Desire yet, do go watch it. It's yeah. brilliant. It's, it's on Amazon Prime now. Yeah, it and is. And on IFHTV, my streaming service as Which well. is, uh, and another thing Alex has is his streaming service. He's got his own streaming service. So when he talked about their platform that, you know, springing up everywhere. He's got I'm his. one of them. It's, a, it's one Netflix them. for filmmakers and screenwriters. It's called anyfilmhustle.tv and you can sign up there. It's available or all around the world as it's well. Brilliant. I'd sign up and it's lovely. Some amazing behind the scenes docs as well as uh, films and, and how to make films and DPs and uh, it's brilliant. You're one of my testimonials on the front I was, page. Yeah. yeah. Am I? Yeah, you're a testimonial on the front page. I've like, not spotted that. How funny. I think I think you are. If I'm not, I'll make sure you are now. Well, thank you very I'm much. positive you are. I remember. <laughs> I remember I that. It. I love it. And if you want the book, uh, I just had over to filmbizbook.com um, and there you can if you've never signed up for Audible you can click on a link and get it for free there mm-hmm. and if not it's on Amazon uh, ebook paperback around the world um, I've sold a lot in England uh, yeah there's been a great. lot a lot of sales in England uh, but it's Amazon is a great partner it's self-published brilliant and uh, we could do a whole other our, oh, whole other could, interview about publishing about as well forever. Alex Ferrari thank you so much for joining us appreciate it thank you so much for having me brother I appreciate it man keep doing the good work you're doing I will I will and you too thanks man so there you have it you can as Alex says go out and distribute your movie you can do it it can happen and you can make money while doing it too so why not go out there and do it and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well I promise you it is your duty to send the elevator back down and then appear on this podcast because that's what it's about and you can share your love and help the filmmakers that listen to this as well so you want to win a copy of Alex's signed book Film Entrepreneur all you have to do is tweet us at Filmmakers Pod and at Film Entrepreneur and say I want the Film Entrepreneur book and we will select a winner good luck And next Tuesday's episode is with the fantastic Hollywood producer Todd Garner, who not only produced Beckham Woods' Haunt, but also Tag and Night and Day starring Tom Cruise as well. You don't want to miss it. Uh, You really don't. So we will see you next Tuesday. As always, take care, everyone. Bye-bye.